You're listening to Country Music Success Stories featuring Music City mentor J.C. Don Valeris. Now, here's your host, Candy O'Terry. Everyone experiences hardship, some people more than others. This episode is about a hit songwriter whose childhood was a nightmare. And yet she not only survived, she made her dreams come true. And make no mistake about it, this was a conscious decision. The best thing I've heard or read is what we believe determines what we make true. That's Amy Mayo, a prolific, spirited, inspiring, and brilliant songwriter whose writing began with a diary given to her on Christmas Eve when she was only eight years old. Her father had just tried to kill himself, and her grandmother reached under the tree for a gift to console her, and then she sent Amy to bed with it. In her third-grade handwriting, she poured out her feelings into that diary, and she hasn't stopped since. For over 20 years, she has been writing hit songs with her husband, Chris Lindsay, and with other very famous co-writers. These mega-hits have spent 26 weeks on Billboard's number one spot, selling 155 million units worldwide and counting, winning many awards, including Country Song of the Year and Songwriter of the Year. As JC and I made our way down a country lane shaded by ancient oak trees, we pulled into Amy and Chris's home, which was once owned by country legend Mel Tillis. Tucked away in the back is Amy Land the recording studio where superstars choose to record their songs. We settled into this interview around a table Amy built by herself in a room filled with inspiring quotes that she had hand-painted on the walls and even in the bathroom. I asked this mother of three to share her childhood with us so that we could understand what she had been through and how far she has come. The book is called Talking to the Sky, and there's a reason for that. This was not an easy time for Amy. I'd changed schools 11 times before the fourth grade. I was pretty lonely, so I would sit outside and kind of daydream and climb trees and talk to the sky, just about everything. That was the one place that felt big enough to give my worries. My life was so messed up. Child abuse can and often does break a child. As I was reading the book, I knew from the very beginning that it wasn't going to break you. And I got the feeling that no matter what happened to you, that you were going to find a way to survive. What saved you? Was it the music? I think it was the writing, just getting it out and having some way to ventilate myself, you know, from everything and the music both. In the book, my favorite line, it says, all my greatest gifts have come wrapped in ribbons of pain. When my stepdad kept me grounded for three years of my life, words saved me. Words and music both saved me. Your stepfather started beating you when your mother was not at home. Yeah. And you covered up those bruises wearing long pants and long sleeves, even in the Alabama heat, as you said in the book. You were afraid to tell your mom. It was weird. I've thought about that a lot because I'm not really sure why I was so afraid to tell her. I don't know that I worried she wouldn't leave anyway, or I'm not really sure. Like, But my grandmother, when I would go to her house, she would see the bruises. She was just amazing. Like, they never had a lot of money or anything, but she didn't really care about money. She was like the Southern grandmother. She loved game shows, you know, but she was always there. 
And as a kid, we never really had like a childhood home. So we were bouncing back and forth between those grandparents and my other grandparents. And both of my grandmothers, one of them I called Mama, and her name was Mary. And then my other, my dad's mom, Opal, we just called her Opal because she told me not to call her grandma. But I'm a lot like her. She just talked everybody's head off and very social. But my grandmother, my mom's mom, she had such a hard life and she just wanted me to have a different kind of life. Your father was bipolar and the book really details his up and down behavior and how confusing that was for you as a child because he loved you, but he let you down a lot. He had many professions and he was on the run an awful lot, sometimes from the law, right? But he was also a true entrepreneur and a songwriter. Danny Mayo. Talk about him a little bit. After he and my mom divorced, when he picked me up for the first time and we went to see the Buddy Holly story, that movie, then when I told him on the way to my grandmother's, I was like, I'm going to be a songwriter when I grow up like that movie. And he's like, what makes you think you can do that? And I'm like, because I got a title. And when I told him the title, if only I could hold you again, I'd never let you go. Then he said, I'd always let you know you had a friend. If only I could hold you again. On a visit to Nashville with your dad and your little brother, you begged your father to let you record a song. Tell me what happened. You had to get on a long line. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what's this all about? It was this studio called Barbara Mandrell Studio. And you could pay and go in there. What it was really was karaoke, but they recorded you. And you got in the studio with headphones and they set up everything. And so I was so excited. I stood in line for half the day while him and my brother did other stuff. And then when it was my turn... I got in there and I picked that song, The Rose by Bette Bette Midler. Midler, Yeah, It's such a beautiful Beautiful lyric. Because I think back, that's such a grown-up song. So I sang it, and when I did, they would play it on the loudspeakers, and everybody out there would hear it. So when I sang it, my dad was like, oh, my God, you're tone deaf in front of everybody in there. And I was just like, I'm not tone deaf. Like, I thought, how am I tone deaf? Because I would sing solos at school. And he's like, well, I said, I sang a solo for Christmas. And he's like, yeah, but Amy, if you're tone deaf, you don't know you're tone deaf. That's the whole point. For your dad to say you're tone deaf, when you go out there on that limb and you sing that song and everybody's listening to it and he's like, you're tone deaf. Yet in front of everybody. In front of everybody. Yet you knew Deep down inside, I could be good at this. I just couldn't figure it out because I couldn't figure out why my teacher would want me to sing if I was tone deaf. But it really ended up hurting me. It hurt me for a while when I first moved to Nashville because I was terrified to sing in front of anybody. If I heard a melody, I didn't sing it. Like, I was just so scared. And then I met my husband and my friend Marv. And they encouraged me to sing. And then Martina McBride, she was like, I love your voice. I told Joe Galani he should sign you. You started out as a real pop girl, head over heels in love with, say it with me, 
Rick, Rick Springfield. Springfield. <laughs> so tell our listeners just how obsessed you were at the age of 12 um, with Rick Springfield. I got grounded from saying his name because I talked about him so much. My mom was just like, I can't hear one more thing about him. I saw him on TV and from the first time, I just believed with every fiber of my being that we were getting married. Well, the good news about all of this is that years later, as Amy writes this book, Talking to the Sky, Rick Springfield is quoted as saying, well, I'm sorry I got married so early because you and I might have had a chance, Amy, you know? Yeah, that was such a full circle moment. First of all, I wrote a song with Rick on Valentine's Day. And my husband was like, this is the last thing I want to do on Valentine's Day. Write a song with my wife in Rick Springfield. (laughs) What was the first song, Amy, that you ever wrote? That song with my dad. If only I could hold you again. And then he went and made that little demo of it and the little record. And I think that's what did it. When I saw my name on that record. It just lit something in me. I just wanted to see that again. When you began to focus on your music and on your songwriting, you decided to try to make it as a songwriter. Did anyone in your family support you when you made that big move and said, I'm going to do this with my life? My mom always believed in me just as a writer, but I don't think she really knew what to think about me wanting to be a songwriter. My grandmother, she just believed in me in general. I don't know what any of them thought. And back then when I moved to Nashville, pretty much the reaction I got was everybody I told just laughed. I just didn't even care. When I finally got to Nashville, I wasn't here for probably six months. And I met this guy. I was waiting tables and I waited on him. And I knew who he was because I'd seen his video like on CMT. And he was an incredible singer. Well, we ended up getting married. And it happened quick. I mean, like, we got married within two months. I was so taken with him as a musician and songwriter and singer. And we wrote songs together. Well, it wasn't long after we were married that he got super violent. One night, he, like, pulled my hair real bad and was kicking me in front of his mom and kids. And he felt guilty for that. And so he set me up for a songwriting appointment with two of his friends. They were like two guys he had written a bunch of hits with. I went over there and I had this idea and I took it. And I had already written the verse and chorus, but I went in there and these two guys were professional. And they just flew through that second verse. I didn't even get a word in it, but I didn't really care. And they took it and demoed it. So that was the song. It was called Places I've Never Been. That was the song that ended up starting everything. And I got my songwriting deal and everything off of that. Who recorded Places I've Never Been? Um, Mark Wills. So Mark Wills records that song, 
Did you hear it on the radio? Yes. Tell me about that. The first time I heard that song on the radio, I was standing in this basement apartment and it had those poles, you know, like the support beams. And I just had to grab a hold because I thought I was going to fall down in the floor. I just couldn't even believe it was on the radio. You know, what's amazing about radio airplay is that when your song is coming out of the radio, you're so aware of the fact that cars and kitchens and people at work and everyone's hearing this song and it's so validating, isn't it? Yeah, it's a crazy feeling. I remember one time it really hit me hard. There's this song called um, Drugs or Jesus, and I wrote it about my hometown. Well, we went camping, and I was in a little burger place. I was standing there, and these men were in line with overalls, and that song came on. And it was my hometown, and like where I'd written. Wow. Something about that time really got me. Everybody just wants to get high. Tell us a little bit about your family. Well, the great thing with Chris is we met and we wrote songs together for four years. So we basically knew everything about each other. He was married when we met and I had two different two-year boyfriends. And Chris, I could always tell, was like, you know, they don't treat you right and stuff like that. One of the guys was a big drinker and like it'd be my birthday and he'd just be somewhere not even down there with us drinking. And so Chris was just completely different. He was kind of like the dad that I never had. He's 11 years older. I just knew he would take care of me forever. There are so many songs to talk about here. And the list of songs that you've written, that you've written together with your husband, they could fall off this beautiful table that you made (laughs) all by yourself. Let's do a couple of those. Tell me the story behind the song Amazed by Lone Star. Chris and me were falling in love, and our co-writer Marv Green and his wife were falling in love. They were engaged, and we weren't engaged yet, but the energy of falling in love, it just got in that song. I don't know how you do what you do. I'm so in love with you. It just keeps getting better. I want to spend the rest of my life with you by my side. Forever and ever. Every little thing that you do, baby, I'm amazed by you. You can feel it. And I can still feel it 20 years later. Okay, take me back to you win Song of the Year at the ACM Awards for Amazed. They say your name. Well, right before they announced it, I was eight months pregnant and had to pee, so I'll go to the bathroom. Then Dick Clark had to lead me back to my seat, and I barely made it back in time. They were listing all the songs that were up. And so then 
we went on stage and I was pregnant and jumping up and down and Dolly was like, you better stop. You're going to have that baby right here. (laughs) She was the host that night. Sure. This one's for the girls. One of my favorite songs, Martina McBride gave her voice to that song. It feels like an anthem for women and young girls everywhere. That when I wanted to write a girl anthem, I was obsessed with Cyndi Lauper growing up and Girls just want to have fun. I always loved that song so much. I had that idea for a while. I took it to Hillary, Lindsay, and Chris. I knew what I wanted it to be, and I wanted it to talk about when you're 13 and then when you're in your 40s. And then my grandmother, Opal, told me this thing once about, she said, I still feel exactly the same age inside as I did when I was 20. She said, but I look in the mirror and see an old woman. And it was just like, that stuck with me so much. This one's for the girls who've ever had a broken heart Who've wished upon a shooting star You're beautiful the way you are This one's for the girls who love without holding back Who dream it feel when an artist like Martina McBride takes a song with her incredible voice and her range and breathes life into it? It's surreal. Martina just took it to another galaxy. One more. Every time I hear that song, Blake Shelton. We pitched it to Blake Shelton and he loved it. Well, he kept it on hold for like six to eight months, went in the studio, and the day before he went in, just dropped it and said he didn't want to do it. They always do that. but <laughs> So then... Frustrating. The next <laughs> record comes around, and he puts it on hold again, kept it on hold for six months, and then dropped it again. And it, so it had been tied <laughs> up for years. And we were at the BMI Awards one night, and I was just headed straight for Blake to figure out what is your deal with this song. You know, I just, I'd never seen this happen. When him and Miranda split up, I heard that he saw that CD of that song in a box and thought, I've always loved that song, and just went in and cut it. There's something about yesterday, how fast it all flies away. I don't know what it is about a goodbye kiss that makes you want to stay. We were crazy, then we were over. We were breaking up, making love a runaway roller coaster. You flip on the radio and you say to yourself, I wish I wrote that song. What is that song for you? Live Like You're Dying, I think. Oh, one of my all-time favorites. And does Tim nail that song or what? Tim, to me, is the best storyteller. He made that song twice as good just with his vocal. You know, Tim McGraw says your book is healing in so many ways. What do you say to a little girl who might be trapped in her room or terrified in the same way that you were, and she has a dream, what do you say to her? Don't give up and don't listen to anybody around you if they're telling you you can't do it. 
you believe you can do it. And when you lay in bed at night, just visualize it happening before you fall asleep. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And Amy, this can be personal or it can be professional. Maybe it's just a mantra that works for your life. The best thing I've heard or read is what we believe determines what we make true. That has been the biggest lesson writing my book, because I'll tell people right up front, any of these agents or anybody, that I want the book to sell millions, help people, and be a movie. (laughs) And if they think I'm delusional, I go somewhere else. This is such a huge (laughs) body of work. A combined 25 weeks in the number one spot on Billboard for your songs, 135 million units sold worldwide, Grammy nominations, BMI Country Song of the Year Award, Songwriter of the Year, all over the place. What are you most proud of? Finishing my book. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I think I had two nervous breakdowns. Your pain is your gift. And I had that opening line I love about all my greatest gifts have come wrapped in ribbons of pain. And that just felt meant to be. Final question for you. Fill in the blanks. Success in country music requires what? Truth. Amy Mayo, I want to say thank you so much for being our guest on Country Music Success Stories. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. Now that was inspiring. I can honestly tell you that I was raised on songs written by Amy Mayo. And having the opportunity to sit in a room with this absolutely amazing person was a dream come true. Hi, I'm JC Don Valeris, your Music City mentor. When Candy and I arrived at Amy's home, I had no idea I was about to walk into a recording studio that literally felt like a magic land, Amy Land. My mind immediately started filling with ideas on what kind of knowledge I could gain from being around such a talented and artistic person. I wanted to ask Amy's advice to pass along to you if you're a new writer just moving to Nashville who wants to get started and having a career in the songwriting field. I would tell them to just write, write, write. Talent is time. The more you write, the better you get. And and the better you get, the more confident you get. We watched this Tiger Woods documentary. I don't know anything about him, but he was, now I do, but he was playing um golf. He was like two. He couldn't even hardly talk. And so he was obsessed with it. And it's those kind of people that, you know, everybody thinks they're gifted or, you know, that God sprinkled a magic wand and made them better. But they've just spent more time. You're probably going to need to write about 100 songs before you write something just that'll wipe people out. Now, Taylor Swift, she's kind of like an alien or something. She Everything she did was weird. She does things I've never seen anybody do. So, but but still, she had a songwriting deal at 13. So people, when she's 23, they're just like, how's she doing this? She had been doing it for 10 years. Amy is absolutely correct. Talent takes time. There is no such thing as an overnight success. And if it seems like someone rose to fame quickly, chances are they were probably working behind the scenes for years on their craft. Now, one might argue that the winner of a show like American Idol or The Voice rose to fame in a heartbeat, but chances are they've probably been singing for years. And if they haven't, well, they are going to have a lot to learn and fast if they want to sustain a career in the music industry. 
There is a difference between calling yourself a songwriter and actually being a real, true blue writer of songs. Like Amy said, unless you have a good hundred songs in your catalog, you really aren't a master at your craft just yet. If you really want to be successful in a town like Nashville, you have to work hard at that craft and spend lots of time actually doing it so that when fate hands you the opportunity to sit in a room and write a song with a superstar like Amy Mayo, you have so much experience and confidence and you are so ready that you can churn out a hit song right alongside her. So how in the heck are you going to get to the point where you have a hundred songs in your catalog? I know it sounds a little overwhelming, but I have a few tips on how to get you there. Tip number one, practice. Not every song you write has to be a masterpiece, and it won't be. That's okay. You still need to be working on honing your writing skills every single day. So practice that skill as often as you possibly can. Number two, challenge yourself. Something I have seen a lot of great writers do, and I've actually done this myself, is to create a songwriting challenge for yourself. Take a subject. It can be anything. Make it fun. Really, there's a bird sitting on your back porch swing. Write a few lines about it. The more you do this with random things, the more you'll get in the habit of thinking of things in lyrics, and the better you'll be when you sit down to write about a serious or a fun subject matter. Number three, co-write. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is nothing like collaborating with another writer. Find a few people who match up with you artistically, people who bring out the very best in you and that make you better. Write a ton of songs with these people. Number four, Schedule writing sessions with yourself. Just like anything else you work into your daily life and schedule, going to the gym, talking to your parents, making dinner, schedule time to write every single day. And my last tip here is to document. Document, save, and register your songs with a PRO, Performing Rights Organization, like BMI, ASCAP, CSAC or SOCAN. Before you know it, your list of songs will be getting longer and longer and your skills will be getting better. And then with enough time, you will have a list of a hundred songs in your catalog. Happy writing! More wisdom you can use from Music City mentor J.C. Don Valeris, inspired by the spirit and the determination of hit songwriter and author Amy Mayo. For a free tip sheet from JC, just go to candioterry.com backslash country music podcast. Subscribe to JC's YouTube channel for insights and advice on how to make it in Nashville. If you liked country music success stories, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Check out our new website, countrymusicsuccessstories.com. Follow us on social at candioterry and at JC Don Valeris. Our Facebook and IG handles are at Country Music Success Stories. We've got more legends to meet and stories to tell. Until next time, this is Candy O'Terry saying thank you so much for listening to Country Music Success Stories, where the stars tell you how to make it in Nashville. <laughs>